boy. Cash registers. Here's Dustin Brown shooting. He scores. And Marazic's shutout bid is broken up with 7.58 to go on a goal by Dustin Brown. This is an All the Kings Man post game podcast. In constant sorrow through his day. The deadline's passed. If that seemed to be something that was uh, playing on their minds, uh, that shouldn't be a factor going forward. Um, like I said, I want to see the level of compete much higher than it has been. Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. Welcome back, Kings fans. I am Jesse Cohen. This is All the Kings Men. Never miss an episode by subscribing today. Subscription links and recent episodes can be found at lakings.com slash podcast. Well, the Kings have lost uh, nine games in a row. Players are yelling at the coaches on the bench. The trade deadline is over. Nobody's going anywhere. Well, what are we to make of this mess? Well, Jack Jablonski and I are here to try and make some sense of it for you. Joining me now for his first, I think, road appearance on a post-game podcast. We don't do a ton of post-games on the road, but Jack Jablonski, how are you doing tonight, Jack? I'm doing well. Yeah, your your intro's a little off because we're not high above That's right. the ice in the Bob Miller press box. No, <laughs> no. I'm doing well. <laughs> I, but I've got the uh, replay of the game on right now. It's muted, and I just watched the Carolina Hurricanes score their second goal. So for me, it feels like the scoring never really ended. Jack, what do you make of this game? Uh, another frustrating loss, I think. Uh, I, I mean, I guess coming off of last night's uh, great third period and then competitive overtime and obviously uh, one save away from uh, a win against the best team in the NHL, I thought, you know, we were going to see a little bit more just, you know, coming off the hot hand. But uh, obviously that wasn't the case. Uh, but, you know, overall, uh, it's just I think it's just another one of those frustrating head scratchers in the sense of, you know, the trade deadline's over. You know, this is your roster and, you know, you get beat 6-1. So uh, confusing, but I guess that's kind of the word we've gone with, you know, every game that something like this happens. <laughs> Yeah, I confess I missed the first period of this game. Uh, for some reason, I had it in my head that it started at 5 p.m. and not 4. So when I so when I went to switch the game on at 5 o'clock and realized I was in the first intermission, uh, <laughs> I, I thought, oh, no, after last night's game, how disappointing. I really wanted to see how they did. And then I realized it was 2 to nothing already. And then, of course, yeah. very quickly into the second period, it was 4 to nothing, And I instantly realized, oh... I've tuned in to watch about five minutes of hockey that matters from my perspective. Um, one thought I had, though, in between last night and today, before I started watching in the second period, um, I thought to myself, okay, the trade deadline is come and gone. This team is who it is. All of the unrestricted free agents have been traded away. The only players that remain are veterans with term a handful of restricted free agents that I think we all expect the Kings to keep. Um, you know, I follow and Kempe, and, and I suppose it's not entirely clear what they'll do with Leipzig, but it's not really any huge concern. And so I thought, all right, all the excuses are gone now. At this point, there is simply no reason to play any players' significant minutes if they're not performing. You know, I thought... All season long, mm -hmm. we've said, why do we see certain veterans getting minutes? Why do we see no healthy scratches? You know, and and the excuse was always, well, either 
you want to try and find some sort of chemistry with guys or you want to showcase them for trades or whatever, whatever, whatever. But now there's 20 games left. The season is a total waste. The coach has been fired. You know, there have been, what, five trades at least, I think. You've picked up two guys from waivers. And so at this point, there's really just no reason to reward players with minutes that aren't earning them. And without throwing anybody specifically under the bus, Jack... Uh, I go ahead. <laughs> I go ahead and I look at the minutes for tonight's game, and this is including special teams play. And the bottom players are Ilya Kovalchuk with nine minutes and fifty-four seconds, Johnny Brodzinski with twelve minutes and forty-two seconds, Austin Wagner with twelve minutes and fifty-one seconds, Jeff Carter with thirteen minutes and thirty-one seconds, and Tyler Toffoli with thirteen minutes and thirty-four seconds. Now I'm going to excuse Brodzinski and Wagner. Because Brodzinski's fresh in the lineup and getting his legs under him, and it's not as if he's a top-line player anyway. Um, I will understand Wagner because the coaching staff seems hell-bent on playing him in the bottom six, so that's fine. But Tyler Defoley, mm-hmm. Jeff Carter, and Ilya Kovalchuk getting less than 14 minutes each, and that's with special teams play. Now, Kovalchuk, this coaching staff clearly clearly doesn't want to play him in the top six, so that's fine. But Carter and Toffoli, I think, I mean, I really don't want to be cruel about this, but, like, it's about time. Yeah, it's, it's you know, it's been so interesting this year how it's played out and, you know, with some of the moves they made along with uh, just, you know, the, the, the Andre, uh, or Ilya Kovalchuk going down to the fourth line almost immediately after Desjardins gets in. Uh, you know, some of these have been confusing to us and, and we just don't really understand it, you know, without, you know, the inside knowledge of, of what's going on in the locker room or, you know, how Rob Blake wants certain players played and, and you know, how, how people want to be showcased, so on and so forth. Um, but, yes, it, it's it's nice to see that, you know, you Trevor Lewis is playing more, uh, Kyle Clifford is playing more because, let's be honest, Kyle Clifford has been – maybe the most consistent player on the team, if not, you know, the best, the most, uh, you know, positive performing based on his contract. And uh, so, you know, he deserves it. Now in a game when it's six to one and, you know, 25 minutes into the game, it's four to zero. That's when you just say, roll the lines, you know, play who deserves to play. We'll see, you know, what gets going later on the game, if anyone can perform and then you just kind of roll them. And so, you know, when you've got a game that's out of hand, you know, relatively early into the game. Um, I do agree. I think it's it's great to see, you know, some of the guys that haven't performed. And let's be honest, not a lot have in this nine-game losing streak. So, uh, you know, as it kind of tends to bottle up as it has, it's, it's good that, you know, maybe we're on that track towards, you know, just letting everyone play and see who belongs here next year. It's... I mean, a game like this, we we said it, I don't know, a month ago, two months ago. We said, you know, there's really nothing to be learned at this point from these games. And now that the trading deadline has passed, um, I feel like there there really is very little to be learned from the on-ice product because, you know, I was having a conversation with my dad this morning about it. And we were talking about Dowdy and the season he's had and you know, we both agreed that earlier in the year it felt like maybe Dowdy was trying too hard or giving it too much effort. And, you know, at some yep. point, I'm not going to say that he's checked out, but at some point, 
you know, the balance of the season tilts and, and you just, you're done, right? Like the season's over, you're not playing for anything. And so whether it was that goal that everybody yelled at him about whatever, two or three months ago, where he didn't sprawl out to stop an empty net attempt in a five to two game or something stupid like that. You know, there's just, you know, if you're a Kopitar, if you're Brown, if you're Dowdy, if you're these guys who have long deals and you know you're not going anywhere and the season's a bust, why are you going to risk an injury or severe discomfort, you know, just to prove to some, you know, something to the guy in the 300s? And and you can get, you know, the sort of talk radio take about, you know, playing for pride or playing for, you know, dignity or the love of the game or all that garbage. But I mean, these guys are professionals. These guys are making more money than any of us can ever conceive of. And so all that stuff in my mind goes out the window and what you're left is this sort of relentless slog of a season. What I will say though, as far as things to learn from, from these games is the off the ice stuff. And, and, you know, you and I have talked repeatedly and recently about the E word and how we're hedging away from effort and we don't like to, to criticize the effort and we're trying to find a million different ways of saying it. Um, and even tonight, Jim Fox had a two or three minute, um, sort of, you know, lecture for, for fans saying, you know, never question the effort. You know, if you question the compete level, I think was the phrase he used, you know, he said, I want to see you tell me which specific player, you know, da, 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 da. And he was, and I've heard him give a similar speech to that. And I've heard tons of front office guys and broadcaster types give that speech of like, you know, how dare you question the effort and how dare you question the compete level. And, you know, you don't have no idea what it's like and blah, 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 blah. And all of that is true. But when the quotes that we've seen from the players and the front office over the last week and a half that clearly spell out that the effort isn't there, right? Whether it was Dowdy or Brown or even Rob Blake in the conference call uh, on Monday after the trade deadline, yep. the quotes are, we're not playing hard enough. We're not all playing hard enough. You know, Rob Blake said, we want the compete level to be more consistent, to be higher. Like the players are saying it, the front office is saying it. You know, I get it, especially, you know, for some of us who are of a a larger stature than others. It sounds crazy for someone like me to come out and say, well, you know, these professional athletes who are in phenomenal shape aren't trying hard enough. But my God, like you don't get a season like this and you don't get results like we're seeing because the team is 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 really giving its all. You know, like you just don't Uh, you don't you don't go from being a playoff team with five guys having career seasons to, you know, losing six to two or seven to one or, or, or all of this without there being some sort of fundamental psychological problem, whether it's in the coaching staff, whether it's in the development staff, whether it's just in the mood around the franchise, whether it's, you know, a handful of players, you know, you always hear on teams that are doing really poorly. You hear about locker room cancers, you know, I'm not certainly not singling out any player as, as being anything like that, but something's happening, right? And we've been saying it all year long. <laughs> and, and <laughs> you know, it's just not as simple as, oh, well, Tyler Toffoli's not as fast as Elias Pettersson, right? Like, that's just not the solution. Mm-hmm. And and so, you know, to me, that's what we're learning in, in this last week or two, is that the players clearly know and and management clearly knows everything that the fans have been saying all season long and that's the other thing that my father and I always sort of repeat to one another is if we see it if there's something as so obvious that you know that the dumb average fan in the 300s can see surely 
surely to God, the owners and the players and the and the people in the organization see it. And what we're finding out this week is, yeah, they see it. Yeah, and to push back a little bit, but also to kind of go along with your point, uh, I think uh, I'm not sure if you caught Trevor Lewis's post game interview with uh, John Rosen, but I thought he brought up a great point and. You know, there's a frustration in the locker room, and it's you know the the road trip has been tough. You know, you go down early to, to Tampa Bay, and and you you know, get, you're down, then you come back, and then you ultimately lose again. And and then tonight, you know, to end it off, you end up you know down one zero off of semi fluky of a goal, and then two zero three zero four zero five zero six zero. You know, it just escalated quickly and. You know, for teams that are in, you know, the bottom of the, the standings, somehow, some way, that always happens. And and I think, you know, Trevor Lewis, to go back to that, brought up a great point in the sense of, you know, at some point, we've just got to start playing for each other. And, you know, as a hockey player myself, you know, when you're losing 6-1, 7-1, you know, on the professional level, it's embarrassing. And, you know, you don't want to be on the ice on the other end. As, as much as, you know, the effort or, you know, you know, that, you know, the E word, whatever it may be, you know, isn't there, or, you know, the locker room is just not as motivated or, you know, they've just checked out because the season's lost, whatever it may be, you know, it, on a nightly basis to know that, you know, 18,000 people are paying for your tickets and you're putting together a, a game where it's seven to one or something, you know, you, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't sit well. And by no means, you know, when you're on the ice and there's a there's a puck, you know, that's loose and it's a 50-50 puck, you know, it, no player is there just, you know, not trying or not going 100% to get the puck. But I think what we saw in the Kings today was, all right, it's 1-0 fluky goal. And, you know, then Quick was flustered because he didn't understand the severity of how much Deion Phaneuf pushed, pushed the Carolina Hurricane forward into him. And then, you know, he's flustered and then all of a sudden it's 2-0. And then I think all of a sudden, you know, based on the season, it's here we go again. And the eyes roll and the head, you know, tip back of, uh, you know, we've seen this story before. And, and I think ultimately that's where, you know, this season has been lost. If, you know, if, whether it's the, the mentality or the focus level or, or the E-word, is somewhere along those lines, you know, the team, you know, we know the team has the skill. We saw it last year. As you mentioned, five players had career years. So how did it just go from there to here? You know, that's the million dollar question that unfortunately Rob Blake has to handle in, you know, a span of three months in the off season, but um, it's complicated and I wish I could break it down even more and, and, you know, give you a simple answer, but you know, that's kind of where we're at. There's two things that frighten me about the situation. You know, a month ago I wasn't worried. It was just a bummer, right? It was just like, all right, it's a dumb yeah. se- it's a dumb season so you forget about it and you, you know they're going to make some trades and next year will be a new year and no no one season is the same as the next so whatever you move on. There's two things that actually sort of worry me. One is I don't remember if it was the Lewis interview. I guess no, it wasn't last game. It was maybe two or three games ago. I think it was Lewis. But they were interviewing him after the game and it had been a bad loss and it was, you know, oh, the losing streak this and blah 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 play better that. And he made some comment about, well, we just need points at this point. And I thought, mm-hmm. I thought, okay, now I'm not going to throw a single guy under the bus for saying something that I think is kind of dumb. But I will say, I wonder why 
that's the rhetoric at this point. Like you can't you can't expect me as a fan or anybody else as a fan at this point to believe that anybody on the Kings roster or anybody in the Kings front office thinks that points are important at this point in the season. They're not. In fact, if we're being totally honest, you don't want points. Right. You know, despite all of my, you know, commentary over the last when they were doing that winning streak about how much fun winning is, the reality is the system is set up to reward losing. And so who cares about points? Points are are a a negative byproduct of, of good play at this point. What you want is, you know, is a consistent effort is, you know, not to be blown out is to, you know, to be competitive and to look good and to be energetic and have fun. If, if Trevor Lewis or any other player had gone out and given a speech like, you know, at this point, we're just concerned about, you know, getting our mojo back or having fun or playing like a team or any other cliche, right? Any other typical player rhetoric could have been fitted into that spot. But for some reason, he went with, you know, we just need points or we need mm-hmm. the two points. And I just thought, is that something that just popped into the top of his head? Or is that what or is that what people in the organization or the players think the fans want to hear? So that was a little concerning. But the bigger one to me tonight was Jonathan Quick going to the bench and yelling at the coach um, yeah. for not challenging the goal. Now, I have had my issues with some of the decisions the coaching staff has made, whether it's distribution of minutes or pulling the goalie when you're already down by two with, you know, a few minutes left to play, whatever it is. Now, I don't know. I'm not smart enough. I've never been a goalie and I've certainly never played competitive hockey, you know, at all. (laughs) I've only ever played beer league, you know, (laughs) bronze level rec league adult (laughs) hockey. So, I mean, I certainly have never had a coach and I would have no idea what the, uh, what the etiquette or what the, or what the potential negative fallout is for having a public, um, blow up at a coach like that. But I have to reference a moment in history, Jack, and this has happened before you were born, <laughs> but I don't know if you've ever, <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen the clips of this or not, but when Patrick Waugh was traded from the Canadians to the avalanche, it came. What after year is this, Jeffy? 96. <laughs> or, All right. So I was, I was less than a year old. Okay. Well, it might've been, I think it was 96, but it might've been, I mean, it happened in the 95, 96 season, but I couldn't swear if it happened in late 95 or early. 96. I feel like it was early 96. At any rate, um, Waugh had was playing for the Canadians. They had won the cup in 93, so they weren't that far away from their glory days. And he got lit up. Uh, I don't remember the score of the game. It was seven to two or eight to two or nine to two or something absurd. And the coach had left him in and he had gotten lit up. And when he finally got pulled, he skated by the owner and he said famously something along the lines of I've played my last game in a Habs jersey. You know, or or this yeah. is it. Like, I'm done. And obviously, you know, the expectations, the rhetoric everybody's saying is that Quick is going to be gone in the offseason anyway. So I'm not worried about, you know, the impact in that regard. But I am worried about a franchise where the players are sort of openly, publicly yelling at the coaching staff in the middle of a game. And... Yeah, I get it. Quick's a fiery guy. And sorry, I'll finish this thought in a second. I know I'm rambling. I know Quick's a fiery guy and I don't want to, you know, clutch my pearls and say, oh, my God, won't somebody please think about the children. But you worry, you wonder what what the impact of something like that has on your Matt Roy's, on your Sean Walker's, on your Austin Wagner's, your Johnny Brunzinski's, etc. So I think there's, uh, as there is to every story, there's two sides to it. And um, to talk about the good side with Jonathan Quick, what makes me happy to see that is he still cares. 
mm-hmm. still out there. He was passionate about winning. He was passionate about, you know, I think it, it was more than, you know, that's a goal that I didn't deserve on my record, you know, blah, blah, blah. It, it had more to do with, I believe that shouldn't have been a goal. I, you know, he obviously didn't know the story and didn't, you know, see it because that's not where his eyes are, right. rightfully so. Um, but at the same time, you know, he, he wanted to win. That's, and, you know, to my knowledge, if you score more goals than the other team, you win. <laughs> yeah, that's so, how it goes. Know, being down, <laughs> being down one zero and giving up that goal. Uh, and I think the first goal was vital because, you know, you looked at how last night's game happened and for them to be coming off a hot streak and give up that first goal and the way it happened, I think that just threw such a dagger in their mojo and, you know, if they had it at the time uh, and, you know, everything that they were working for. So I understand quick reasoning for it. Do I agree with it? No, I think it's embarrassing for the organization. I think it's not the best look for um, both Desjardins and quick, but at the same time, I respect why he did it, even though, you know, I, as a goalie, even though I wasn't, I would have handled it differently. You know, it's something you do in closed doors. And, you know, at the same time, Desjardins was right. It was completely Dion Phaneuf's fault. Um, And, you know, at no point do I often call someone out, but you know, that, it doesn't take anyone with knowledge to figure that one out. Um, so, so that's bad. But at the same time, Desjardins, you know, obviously, you know, this is my perspective. It just seems like the fit hasn't been great. And, you know, the wins haven't improved since uh, Desjardins took over. But at the same time, you know, it, it, it's, it's not the coach's fault that the Kings are, you know, in last place in the West. And, you know, is it the manager's fault? No, I don't think it's, I think it's a culmination of everything. It just hasn't gone right. Do we know the reason why? No, that, you know, if, if someone did, then, you know, maybe the Kings wouldn't be where they are. So that specific situation is, it's unfortunate because uh, it wasn't a great look for the organization and for Jonathan Quick and uh, Coach Desjardins, but at the same time, I, I, I like seeing it because uh, at least, you know, it shows someone cares. Yeah. And I can see your, your argument on that. And I'll, I'll agree with you as far as it being a, a, uh, well, at least at the very least a cloud with a silver lining on John the quicks part. I'll just say this, things like that don't happen out of the blue. And I guess that's my concern, right? The fact that quick felt, yeah. felt the need to go over there and yell at him means that some sequence of events had occurred or, or maybe it's just a pattern of events or maybe it's just the, the stress of a season, right? You know, for example, if I, you know, if I'm driving with somebody and they're clicking their pen or something, the first time they click their pen, I don't blow up at them. But if I don't say anything about yeah. it and they keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it. And then I get in a fender bender or a traffic, you know, I get a ticket cause I'm distracted cause I'm thinking about, you know what I mean? Like, then you yeah. blow up, right? Once it's too late, you know, when it's when it's well mm-hmm. past time to say something or to speak your mind. And I think that's sort of the other half of this is that, you know, there was a comment, yeah. I think it was by Dowdy or maybe Brown, one of the comments that have come out in the last week or so where they talked about how they and and the comment was like, we don't practice well. You know, even our practices are 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 crummy. Yeah. And that's the sort that's of a thing. Red flag. It's, yes, exactly. It is a red flag. And <laughs> yeah. your yeah, your analogy is you know, it's pretty spot on. And, and, you know, again, like, you know, I don't know, you know, what's going on behind the scenes in the sense of, you know, is the locker room divided? Is, you know, the, does anyone listen to coach Desjardins or is he too aggressive or, you know, so on and so forth. You know, there's so many different outcomes on, you know, what exactly happened this year. And uh, unfortunately tonight's, you know, blow up with quick and, and the coaching staff and, and the, the falling out of, 
you know, the game getting out of hand quickly after. Uh, it's just another, you know, story in, in this season's, you know, chapter. And it's unfortunate because, you know, we, we look at, you know, big picture, we look at, you know, the Kopitar, Dowdy, um, you know, quick, you know, those three specifically, that core of the Kings. And, you know, that's, that's running out of time. And, you know, the organization has a, a decision to make on, you know, Two of them are locked up. Quick, uh, quick situation is not as deeply, um, you know, in length in terms of years. You know, he's a free agent after 2023. But you know, there's been rumors about his, you know, future. But at the same time, you know, to go back to it, you know, their primes are running out. That core is still, you know, in their peak and still at the top, you know, talent in the NHL. So you know, can they figure out how to maximize them, but still, you know keep a you know, surrounding you know, group of role players to help get this team back in the playoffs in the near future. So there's a tweet that came out um, while we were talking. It's from Curtis Zupke of the LA Times. He says, Jonathan Quick was not available post-game tonight. Obviously, he had an early exit. Desjardins said he was probably should have challenged the first goal. I'll let that sink in for a bit. Um, the only reason I bring up the tweet is to sort of point out, you know, I see a lot of fans um, complaining about the coaching staff, a lot of really negative things said about the coaching staff. The reason I bring it up is to say, is to sort of highlight the fact that mistakes made in the past can have incredible uh, shelf lives. So yeah. when, when Lombardi and Sutter were fired and they went with Stevens and Stevens staff, you know, I said at the time, and I've repeated it, that I think Stephen's greatest strength was not being Daryl Sutter. I'm perfectly willing to believe that uh, Coach Stevens had some sort of agreement with the organization. He was given the title associate coach, not assistant coach, which, to the best of my knowledge, has never happened before. You know, he had been, uh, you know, other teams had inquired about hiring him away. The Kings had not allowed it. So, I mean, I think it's perfectly reasonable to believe that some sort of deal was extended to John Stevens that said when Daryl Sutter was gone, he would be the next in line to be the head coach. Even if that deal wasn't in place, I still think it's a perfectly reasonable thing when you fire uh, Sutter and Lombardi to promote uh, John Stevens, all things considered. And, and I've gone over it in the past why I thought it was a reasonable decision. Having said all that, I think it was, without question, in hindsight, clearly the wrong decision. But there was no way to yeah. fire him once last season ended, right? It would have been totally unreasonable, even if even if you think it was the correct thing to do, which I do. Um, now, and with the benefit of hindsight, I wouldn't have said it in the summer. Um, but there was no reasonable way to fire him, given how last season went and how last season ended. And then once this season was in the tank, and you clearly saw what was happening, and they made the decision to fire him, well, then you're stuck with who do you who do you hire? What coach wants to step into the situation the Kings found themselves in November, where they had no cap space, you know, a lost season at that point, clearly already, um, and no guarantee moving forward of what direction the franchise was going to take. And so you have to reach out to uh, whoever is available. And I'm not going to say that this season is Desjardins' fault, but I will say moving forward, if you hire a lame duck coach, in the middle of a season where the players have clearly gotten the original head coach fired, 
why would the players buy into anything Desjardins had to say to begin with? And then you toss in the sort of mm -hmm. nightmare and curiosity of whatever was going on with Kovalchuk, right? Like, I don't know why he played him fourth line minutes for a while as soon as taking over. I don't know why Kovalchuk didn't click on either the top line or the second line when they brought him in. But whatever was happening was clearly beyond John Stevens' power to correct and clearly beyond Willie Desjardins' power to correct. And as I say, to start this whole rant, um, and I apologize, this episode is just mostly <laughs> me ranting. But, um, but I mean, the point is, I think that the mistake can be tracked back to before Daryl Sutter was fired, right? Like, having that, yeah, uh, having that yeah. sort of loyalty and and whatever relationship with John Stevens, while perfectly understandable at the moment, it now looks like, in retrospect, may have at least partially led to the collapse that we're seeing this year. Yeah, I mean, there's lasting effects that I think we have finally, you know, seen and and I guess put together. Uh, at the same time, you know. You know, yeah, hindsight 2020, obviously, I don't think Stevens was the best choice. But uh, to go off of last year, the Kings, you know, allowed the least amount of goals in the NHL. Right. They made the playoffs. They were more fun to watch. And they, you know, turned their roster into what we are now seeing within the NHL, the faster, less physical, uh, more skilled game. So, uh, and, and then again, you know, going into the season, I think everyone had the expectations that we were going to be right back in the situation we were last year uh, in terms of, you know, playoff standings, type of hockey, uh, and then overall expectation. It, it just, it just seemed to, that the roster got better, the, you know, everything to be clicking, you know, Kovalchuk was coming in, he's a point per game player over 700 something games and that it didn't seem that he had lost a step. Do I think he's lost a step? Not really. I, I, I you know, again, it's, it, that might be one of the biggest mysteries about this season on how, you know, Desjardins has handled Kovalchuk um, and just how he's fit in. Um, but on top of that, it's just, you know, I guess it's just every you know, when something like this comes so ex unexpected and out of the blue, I just think there's so many questions to ask that you're never really going to get the answer to. Yeah. I mean, that, that is one of the conclusions I came to in all of my Twitter fighting tonight is that, you know, I started a conversation, <laughs> I started a conversation just by saying whatever sequence events led to Justin Williams leaving this franchise, it's a shame, right? Cause he's just clearly an amazing guy. Like, you know, they're, yeah, they're, that was a mistake to say the least. Yeah, well, I mean, now it, as somebody pointed out, it could have been that he just wanted to leave. In which case, what are you going to do? Um, yep. But no, you're you're exactly right. It, it's that's again, that's another thing that comes up is you don't know, right? And you know, maybe Justin Williams is like I've had two championships here, and I've you know spent my time. I want to move on, and you know, thank you for everything you've done, and uh, thank me for what I've done, and you know, that's it. So, you know, you're exactly right. You know, you we don't know what led to that sequence and we don't know uh yes, we don't know a lot unfortunately, but uh, I think as time goes on, maybe some of those answers will come out and unfortunately most of them won't. <laughs> yeah, well that's the thing, right? Some of them or, or then there's the old uh, you know, unknown unknowns, right? There's things you know you know, there's things you know you don't know, and there's things you don't even know you don't know. But anyway, um, Jack, I want to ask you real quick what you thought about the uh, trade deadline. We'll start out specifically with the Kings trading uh, Oscar Fantenberg. Any particular thoughts on that trade? You know, I actually was quite surprised that um, Fantenberg left the organization, but at the same time, I was 
happy for the return. You know, Fantenberg spent his time, you know, 50-50 between, you know, being on the ice for the Kings and then the other 50% being in the press box or being in Ontario. So to get a fourth round pick, you know, a middle round pick, I think is, you know, a good asset to get for him. And, you know, obviously I think we all had a little bit more of an active uh, trade deadline day in mind when it came to the Kings. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I almost applaud Rob Blake in the terms of not giving up assets that were potentially, you know, 50 cents on the dollar. You know, if, you know, Tyler Toffoli was, you know, you know, let's speculate that, you know, Tyler Toffoli, Alec Martinez, and maybe Jeff Carter were three of the names that were being bounced around in, in Rob Blake's phone calls. You know, if you're not going to get what you deserve for him, then you don't move him because, you know, what is a, a fifth and a sixth for Tyler Toffoli or a minor league prospect that's, you know, not, you know, going to do much in your scout's eyes. So, I don't mind keeping them. Um, you know, I thought we were going to go a little bit younger and, and move towards that type of a game. But at the same time, you know, both of, you know, all three of the, the candidates that I mentioned prior are guys that can play in the NHL. They are playing in the NHL. They've won cups before. And at the end of the day, if you didn't get what you thought was, you know, rightfully yours, then keep them. And that's what they did. The other uh, angle, I think that, that certainly I had forgotten and I don't know how many other people did, but in the off season, there will be teams, maybe one, maybe more, certainly Ottawa that could struggle to even reach the cap floor. And yep. we, we've seen in past years, teams like Arizona be, um, warehouses. Yeah, they take on for, yeah, exactly. And Pronger's uh, contract. Uh, yeah. Clarkson's contract. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so there, there are teams that will be willing to be warehouses for bad contracts. <laughs> Um, and so, you know, that's the sort of thing that maybe that trade doesn't happen at a trade deadline. Cause why is Ottawa going to take on dead weight? But in the off season, now that they've moved all their high profile stars, um, and I don't know what other teams, you know, maybe Detroit might be one of them in the off season. They've traded Nyquist now. I don't even know who they have left, but, um, yeah, you know, there, there are possibilities for trades, right? There are only a handful of guys on the Kings that have no move or no uh, trade clauses. So you never know. There may be better opportunities at the draft, and I would expect um, certainly the anticipation to ramp up, if not the actual trades. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and to go on top of that, Jesse, I think the, the, fa the fact of the matter is, is, you know, when your team has struggled and, you, you know, everyone knows you're trying to move players, mm -hmm. the value goes down. And on top of that, when, you know, Tyler Safoli hasn't had a great year. Alec Martinez hasn't had a great year. Jeff Carter has not had a great year. You know, the value is even lower. And, you know, he's probably worth more based on what he's done. And he's probably, you know, done enough to, you know, value himself higher than most likely with what Rob Blake was getting asked uh, or offered. In that case, you know, it's an unfortunate situation because, you know, it would have been great to, to get younger now. But, at the end of the day, you know, this, the rest of the season doesn't matter. Hopefully those guys can get their stock, you know, a little higher than it is now. And, and maybe they can move them for more. And then, you know, to add one more piece uh, with the deadline, it's a crazy time. And I think a lot of the league in this situation was waiting to see where Mark Stone of Ottawa was going. 
And that didn't come down until roughly 45 minutes left until the deadline was mm-hmm. over. And then that's when things get crazy. All of a sudden, phone calls are everywhere. And, uh, and you know, people are calling people left and right. And then all of a sudden, you know, Mikhail Granlin gets moved. And then on top of that, Wayne Simmons gets moved. And you know, there's a lot of moving pieces. And, you know, you're spewing things out that, you know, sometimes you regret. Other times, you know, you don't really think through. And, you know, that's your job. But at the same time, you know, Rob Blake held his, you know, held his cards. And I don't blame him for it, you know. They're the Stanley Cup champion players, and uh, you know we'll see what happens in the off season. But if they didn't get what they wanted at this time, maybe they can in the off season. Yeah, and uh, New Jersey's another team like Ottawa, bottom of the standings, tons of cap space. Um, you never know. Um, but let's go ahead and move on yep. around the league. Um, I'll let you. I'll let you talk about your Minnesota Wild. <laughs> what did you think of? Uh, of really the last two months of uh, of the Wild, because I was talking to Robert Brender earlier this week, immediately following the trade deadline, and we both sort of said it's tough to evaluate what specific teams do unless you have any idea what they're doing, and we both conceded we have no idea what Minnesota's up to. Yeah, so, you know, they've got a new general manager in town in um, uh, Fenton, and uh, immediate, so in the last few uh, months, I guess I'll go back. They started with the Nino Niederreiter trade, and he was in Carolina as uh, they heard that name a lot today, mm-hmm. uh, King fans. Um, so uh, that one I was a little disappointed with. You know, he's a very good all-around player. He's had a very poor season uh, in a wild uniform. They moved him for Victor Rask, and that was a little bit of a head-scratcher. Um, so that's all I can really give on that, because I don't want to <laughs> say anything worse than that. Uh, but to go on top of that, they also moved uh, Charlie Coyle for Donato and um, uh, a draft pick. So all of a sudden you kind of understand what's going on. And the Wild, who were in a similar situation to the Kings besides winning two cups, and that's unfortunate on my end. Um, but, uh, you know, in their situation, it's time to go younger. It's time to understand that the core they had wasn't good enough to, to win a Stanley Cup, let alone get out of the second round over the past six years. Yeah, they've made the playoffs in the last six years, and unfortunately, they haven't been yet past the second round. So they realize that, you know, time to let that one go, and we're going to have to move younger, and we're going to create cap space. They did that along with moving Mikhail Granlund, uh, who is their top point getter this or second top point getter this year behind Parisi, and picked up Fiala, who's a younger version, uh, and he's a shoot-first player. The Wild have always lacked guys that are shoot-first, goal-scoring type of players. And in this situation, they swapped one for one and, and got rid of a pass first guy and grabbed a shooting first guy. So, um, you know, they've got rid of a lot of cap space. They'll have some room to, to negotiate some players in the offseason with, with uh, free agency. And, you know, it's unfortunate to see, you know, that core go away because they've been there for a while. But at the same time, uh, they've gotten younger and all of a sudden they're on a four-game win streak. So, you know, we'll see where it goes. I don't think the playoffs were in mind when they made a lot of these moves, but uh, all of a sudden, they're they're back in the playoff picture. So, uh, yeah, that that's my take on the Wild, uh, and we can move on to the next team. Well, just to dwell on the Wild for one second, Donato six points in four games, um, and yep. and the Wild, at least at the standings I'm looking at, currently in a playoff spot. Now it's neck and neck with a bunch of other teams, but I mean, do you like their chances? Let's say they did make the playoffs and they got to play. Well, it looks like it would be Winnipeg or Nashville, maybe. 
Um, yeah, uh, Calgary probably, but just because they're going to end up in a wild card if they do. Right, right. So well, I was, I was, I was thinking if they finish oh, ahead yeah, yeah. Of, of Dallas or Colorado yeah. or whatever. But um, I mean, I don't know. Like, Col- I mean, Calgary, they have an impressive record, but I'm not sure anybody really knows what they've got there. Although they have a really impressive record. Um, yeah, yeah. But I mean, I mean, are you optimistic as a result of the Wild's recent play? I am optimistic, and it's I'm optimistic because uh, they've gone younger, and forever the Wild have had prospects that have never panned out or not lived up to their expectation. And you know, you look at Greenway for the Wild, who was you know one of the stars in the World Junior Tournament two years ago, and then you look at what Cunning has done. He was the captain of the team uh, USA that won World Juniors last year. Then you pick up Donato, who was a stud in the Olympics last year. He had five goals. Um, it's great to see those guys playing well because, you know, that's where we've struggled. Uh, Wild made a huge mistake in getting rid of Alex Tuck because they brought him up for five games last year or two, the year before the expansion happened, and he did nothing. And he just looked out of comfort. Well, give him one year later and let him play how he wants to play, and voila, look at him. He's a point-per-game player for Vegas. So for one you know, the wild have been able to say, all right, young kids, you know, it's your turn, go play how you want to play, be comfortable and do what you do best. And that's, you know, the biggest thing that stuck out with Donato is they put him with some young guys. And when he got traded his first game, the coaching staff said, go play, do what you do. And he did. And now this is what we're looking at. So it's a shift in culture, but it's also a shift in how the wild are going to play. And it's a little bit more fun to watch. And, uh, you know, we'll see where it goes. In terms of the playoffs, Jesse, um, you know, obviously you've got 20 games to see how everything plays out. But if they did end up making the playoffs somehow, um, you know, I'm optimistic that in a Calgary matchup, you know, the Wild are defensive-minded first. Um, and if they can shut down one line, a.k.a., you know, the, the Calgary line with Monaghan and, uh, and Johnny Hockey, you know, maybe they have an opportunity. I Ultimately, I think the rest of the season is his hands are on Devin Dubnik's performance because he is uh he's a wild guard. He started the season great, then went on a 15 game slump, then followed it up with uh, four games in a row of, of playing great hockey. So we're going to see how that plays out. But if Devin Dubnik's on his game, the wild can, you know, beat almost anyone on a good night. So let's um, shift around the league without breaking it down team by team. Cause we've already sort of, Done that on a separate yeah. pod, but um, but what did you think of the you know who who for you were this was the uh, I don't want to say winner, but what was the biggest impact uh, move that you saw, and and what were the storylines that sort of caught you by surprise? I've got two. Um, uh, in terms of winners, I'd go Nashville is a winner, and I would go um, Vegas. Mm-hmm. I think Vegas signing Mark Stone, who has had a tremendous year, on top of. Uh, signing him to a eight year, nine mil extension is extremely important and a great move to help them win and to win now. Um, on top of that, uh, it's been uh, a long time coming that Nashville has made a move to help their offense. They're uh, roughly 12% on the power play and to pick up McGramland who led the wild in points on the power play and, uh, on top of that, pick up Wayne Simmons. It'll be an immediate impact for for both players on the power play who will be put right into the first power play lineup, I assume. Um, and, you know, for a team like Nashville, who I think everyone expected to be, you know, a Stanley Cup contender going into the season, and for them to be, you know, 
roughly in first place in the the central uh, with the 12 percent power play if they can get back going they're going to be quite dangerous yeah it's funny you know when i was talking about this the other day the the simmons trade to me stuck out mainly because um you know usually you see even in the vegas trade a guy like stone comes in and it means bumping out other other guys minutes wise but the simmons for hartman trade i could almost see it being just a sort of one for one upgrade Right. I mean, I know yeah. Simmons plays more minutes and, and probably has a slightly larger role than a guy like Hartman would. But, you know, you're not going to be completely disrupting, you know, the the the, mm. the everyday schedule or, or status quo by bringing in a guy like Wayne Simmons. You're really literally just upgrading a spot, you know, that, that you had tried to upgrade the previous season. Right. Like wasn't Hartman brought in for a first the year before that. Um Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I agree with you. I think Nashville uh, obviously was a, a big winner. Um, the Sharks, too, I thought. I mean, you know, I, I, I said I, there's a bunch of guys on Detroit that I always just forget every year or even in the league because I just never think about yeah. them, Because I just never think about Detroit. <laughs> um, yeah. And Nyquist was one of them, but I think he actually could go. And, I mean, I'm actually legitimately scared of the Sharks at this point. Yeah, the the top of the Western Conference got really good. You know, Winnipeg, Nashville, uh, San Jose, and Vegas all upgraded and upgraded significantly. I think, uh, I believe Winnipeg made about six trades yesterday, um, and everyone was for a different reason. So that's a little bit uh, of a reason to be (laughs) a little scared of them. You know, Vegas picking up, you know, the top commodity within the the, the trade deadline, uh, that's going to be dangerous for him you know, throwing in another guy who's got you know 35 goals or something like that and then you're putting Nyquist with uh with San Jose and in San Jose I think of all the teams had the least amount of holes in their roster um so to be able to fill that you know with a barely leaking water pipe uh so to speak I, I that's going to be very interesting to see how that plays out because you've already got two MVP type of defensemen and then uh, you've got, you know, a, a core up front that is consistently produced. So to add another goal score in there, it'll be very interesting to see how these playoffs shake out because uh, we're going to have a lot of interesting, you know, both first round and second round matchups. And, you know, we haven't even gotten to the, the conference finals. Well, it's going to be uh, it's going to be 20 games of waiting to see how that plays out for most of the teams in the, in playoff contention and in non-playoff contention. Jack, I want to thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. We'll see you back at Staples Center. And uh, for Jack Jablonski, I am Jesse Cohen. Thanks for listening, Kings fans. We'll talk to you soon.